All right, and welcome to the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 3HO Kundalini Yoga community. My name is Guru Nishan. Uh, I started this podcast because I was born and raised in this community, and the people of our community matter to me. So I have uh, several intentions that I'd like to share with you, and I share at the beginning of every podcast. Um, so number one, the intentions of this podcast are to break the veil of silence that is long permeated and continues to strangle the 3HO uh, Kundalini Yoga community in the name of neutrality. Number two, to validate and help clarify the complex feelings of those who have joined this lifestyle, were born and raised into it, and or have practiced or taught Kundalini Yoga. Number three, to encourage active listening to uncomfortable conversations from our community as a revolutionary act of self and collective healing. Number four, to let survivors know that we see them, we believe them, we love them, and we will fight for their truth to be addressed. Number five, to let teachers who are denying, gaslighting, or spiritually bypassing know that what they are doing is willfully ignorant and re-traumatizing victims. Number six, to illuminate the inherent racism, homophobia, cultural misappropriation, and exploitation that permeates the teachings, 3HO lifestyle, and overall community ethos. Number seven, to stop the perpetuation of gaslighting and victim shaming by naming it for what it is. Number eight, to dismantle internalized shame, guilt, toxic positivity, and light washing mentality. Number nine, to honor all of the parts of ourselves that have been forgotten or silenced. Number 10, to honor every body that has come through our community, both named and unnamed. Number 11, to encourage people to do their own research, process their own emotions, get somatic therapy and other therapy or support as needed, draw your own conclusions and be critical thinkers rather than just blindly follow anyone. Remember that your story matters. Please share it when you're ready. We're here to listen and to support you. Today, I wanna to welcome our guest for episode 12, our final episode of 2020. And his name is George Craig McMillan, also known as Kirantana Singh. He met Yoga Bud Yogi Bhajan in 1971 when he was 23 years old and started taking classes at Santa Monica College at the back of, um, and in the back of Jules Bucareri's antique store, probably butchered that, on the corner of Melrose and Robertson. He became one of Yogi Bhajan's first bodyguards in Los Angeles and later for his wife, BBG. When the 3HO International Center on Proust Road was created, Kirintana became the guard Sevadar at the ashram. This was also Yogi Bhajan's residence at the time. He patrolled the 3HO properties by night, slept on the floor in front of the ashram, led morning sadhanas, worked at the Golden Temple restaurant by day as a dishwasher and waiter. He lived at the Brentwood ashram, in San Rafael, um, oh, and then the Hargobind, sorry, the Hargobind Ashram in San Rafael. So Brentwood and then San Rafael. He became one of the first teachers starting the first 3HO prison teaching program in San Quentin. 
He could go on and on about how he actually then moved to Española and started running the 3HO drug rehab program in its last year before the government came and shut it down. After Kirantana left 3HO, he started doing private drug rehab work, then later created a unique style of PTSD yoga in Belgrade, Sarajevo, in the Bosnian war years. He taught in many destroyed cities in Bosnia, Croatia, and later Kosovo. He went on to teach in other war-torn countries such as Palestine and Egypt, and even ran teacher training in war-torn countries for free, provided by donations of friends and teachers all around the world. There's so much more to his journey and he will share with us today. So I wanna welcome Kieran Tanasing or George Craig McMillan. Thank you so much for being with us on today's podcast. You're on mute, so please unmute yourself. Hi, welcome. Hi, Kier for short. Kier, thank you. And you go by Kier now? Yeah, Kier Kirantana. Kirantana, I totally butchered that. Kirantana, that's very nice. Thank you. So, wow. Um, first of all, I know that you have a lot to share with us post 3HO, and I think that's a really welcome part of the conversation that I'm looking forward to today. But I do want to give us some, I do want the context of your early days of 3HO. So before even going into any of that, would you mind sharing with us why you feel it's important to share your story today? Uh, last day of the year. You know, and uh, I got to get moving. You know, I, I uh, one of the nice things uh, that uh, one of the reasons I decided to do this with you is when we were talking, mm-hmm. and uh, we were talking about, you know, we both have successfully moved on, and uh, spent a lot of time with this community, and. You know, I let this go a long time ago, but when I heard, when I heard that Primka put her book out, I knew what was going to happen. And so I, I let all this go 20, 20 years back. Mm-hmm. But then both you and I said, you know, but here we are, you know, when all this came down, here we are. We, we, uh, we do care about this community and I, I care about the community very much. Even I've had nothing to do with them. And I was very peaceful to have nothing to do with them for, for a good 25 years, you know. <laughs> and uh, now I have to, uh, you know, I'm recording more albums and I have to get ready to go back to the Mideast. And uh, so I really don't have time anymore to be in the Primka room and listen to all the stories and all that. And uh, I wanted to leave something uh, for people that, that how I healed myself from all this. You know, and, and uh, specifically what I did, you know, after I left 3HO, after all the tragedies and stuff. And I thought, uh, I know that, that in the, the room, everybody's sharing their stories and uh, there's a lot of very angry, you know, people and there's a lot of very hurt and damaged people. And uh, I would never tell anybody how they're supposed to heal. You know, there's, everybody's going through their own thing. Yeah. But I would just thought I would just leave in there how I, I healed and, and went on and had a pretty successful career. Awesome. Well, I, I want to forward, do that, get back to I look work. forward to this, um, George or, 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 or Kier, because when I read your story specifically, and this goes back to whatever, March, April of this year, mm-hmm. um, I was so grateful to have such an early lens and then to witness how you took what you learned and moved on with your sole purpose in the world. And that level of healing and the work you did 
for us to, for the listeners to be able to get that, I think can really support a lot of people today. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. So um, on that note, you know, you came in very early. I know when you wrote this up, it was written in three parts. So we're just going to do the best we can to kind of give, give a recap of those early days when you first joined, um, leading up to what made you notice why you should go. So start wherever, wherever you're ready. Um, I was there pretty early on, but I didn't, my first solstice was Mendocino. And uh, I think maybe that was a third solstice or something. But uh, when I went back to uh, Los Angeles and I became the bodyguard, I was living there at the ashram. And, uh, you know, a guard, it's your job to see what's going on and, and uh, you know, to be curious about everything. So I suspected that, that, uh, that uh, he was having sexual affairs with his, his uh, secretaries. But as a guard, you know, I didn't consider that really in my business. It was, uh, I, I, the way I looked at it was, it was uh, from his culture. You know, any rich Maharaj has concubines and uh, they were all adults. And uh, so I just never really, I wasn't quite sure. And uh, I knew, but I didn't really want to know. I mean, I was just doing my job. And then the first time that I, I really, it really hit me in the head was, it was a tantric course in uh, San Diego. And uh, I went down there, they asked me to be one of the guards and somebody attacked him, you know, before the, the tantric thing. And some guy who was in love with one of his secretaries and uh, we stopped him. And uh, he was kind of shook up about it. So uh, I was asked that night to guard sitting in front of his door where he was staying. And so I sat there all night and that was the first time I heard him like putting the make on somebody. I didn't know who was in there, mm. but uh, I knew it was one of his secretaries and I heard him, you know, trying to hustle her. And uh, I, I didn't want to hear that, you know, and, and uh, but there was no denying it. So it's interesting what, what I did was uh, I spent all night and I wrote a song it, that night, my first awakening to all that, you know, I, I wrote one of the most uh, popular songs that, that came out in 3H. It was kind of, it's crazy. What song? And, huh? What song? Oh, it was just called the Odd Grade to May song. It was on a, an album I did back, way back in 75, I think, you know. Okay. And uh, so as it became more popular, I, I just felt this real strange dichotomy inside of me because, you know, I kept remembering the night that I wrote it. Yeah. And uh, the stuff that happened with like all the, the young people in the second generation and, and uh, everybody I've heard share in Prinker's room, uh, a lot, they weren't even born then by the time I already left. But you know, I went on and went back and I, I just, like I said, I, I, it wasn't my business. Uh, I didn't like it, but uh, Yogi Bhajan with me was, was uh, always very straight across. And, 
he gave me what I needed to, to do what I wanted to do. And uh, that's all I really cared about. Uh, that's all that was happening at the time. So he, in those days, uh, was very adamant and, and said it all the time, no middleman. There should be no middleman between you and God. And, and he came out and he said, if you put a middleman between you and God, you're going to create hell for yourself. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. But I listened to him. He's a middleman and, and uh, I didn't do that. So when it all came down, I wasn't, I was hurt because it had to do with uh, uh, a woman that I was in love with. Yeah, so pause, because I want you to give us that context. So at this incident in San Diego, you heard, you know, standing outside the door, this is when you definitely know that's going on. You had already assumed it. There was another incident like that in San Rafael, right? No. This was, uh, her name's Karen Jope, and we lived together at the San Rafael Ashram, the Hargobin. This is the woman that you loved? Yeah. Okay. Although... You know, it was, we never had a chance to get together. So Yogi Bhajan came to Hargobin, saw her and wanted her as a secretary. So she took off, he, he went down to Los Angeles and, and uh, she started living with them there. And then, um, you know, I went on I, uh, at Hargobin and then I ran off, you know, left the whole thing, went to Hawaii for a while. And he came, when he came to Hawaii, he was looking for me. And uh, before I go on, I should give, you know, one of those alerts. What do you call me alerts when you don't want people to freak out? Trigger warning? Trigger warning, yeah. I'm a mystic. You know, I, I was not a householder Sikh. I, uh, I was a sadhu. And most of my life I've been a sadhu. That means I wandered most of my life. I did when I was a child with my father who was an, uh, an army officer. So um, I had the time to do a lot of yoga, and a lot of meditating. And I went and lived in the cave. It was kind of my natural environment. And I was in there meditating. And one, and one day, uh, and also at that time I was quite stoned on mushrooms. <laughs> so. This is all while you're still a security guard. No, no, I left after San okay. Rafael. Got it. Okay, but before you go into all that, I really want you to give us some context of what happened with Kieran Joe. Like when you wrote this, you really wrote it specifically and the involvement of building the prison program. So like, can you give us some more kind of foundation levels of your time in 3HO and kind of what popped that? And then you chose to move on. Yeah, I'm doing that. Okay. So this was after uh, he came and took uh, Karen Joe. And then I, I left, I just, um, you know, uh, I was having a hard time physically with Kundalini yoga. I was having a lot of blockages. Uh, and uh, I think that was because we didn't have a, a lot of ways to process emotions. And I, at that time they, they really didn't have anything. Uh, Kirtan Kriya came later and that was the only thing, you know, Yogi Bhajan's thing was if you turn emotion to devotion and that was it. That was the only teachings we had. So I was having problems. And, uh, and I, this wasn't working for me anymore, and I took off. So uh, I had kind of a vision of him in the cave, and I knew he was in Hawaii. So I left the cave, and I went to Oahu, and uh, we hooked up again. 
And then uh, he asked me to come back again to be the, the guard there in Los Angeles. And she was living there. Mm. And, uh, and then what happened is, uh, oh, I went off to India with uh, BBG and uh, she was in, she was uh, engaged to a, a young man down there. He engaged her, a really good man, uh, Baisab Dayal Singh. We all loved him. And, uh, and then he died in a car crash. So BBG and I uh, took his ashes to India and I was the Savadar on that trip. And we went through all that. And I got, as soon as I got there, I went to the first, you know, Siskan uh, Gurdwara there and just blasted out. You know, it was the first time I really heard the Gurbani really sung by professionals and uh, people have been doing it their whole lives. And I got really sick. And uh, so I ended up, instead of being her bodyguard, she left me in Amritsar. Uh, with Papaji, her, her uh, Yogiji's uh, father. And uh, I went through whole for, I did a 40 day save at the, at the uh, Golden Temple. I would be sick all day and the fever would go away and I would be ready to go clean the floors of the temple at night, you know, at midnight. And that happened for 40 days. So I just like burned out all my, uh, everything. <laughs> and then after that, uh, I was becoming a, you know, I definitely was turning more towards the Sikh Dharma. Up until then, I was just, just pretty straight Kundalini Yoga, nothing else. And uh, then I came back, to, she came uh, later at the end of the 40 days, uh, the whole Sangat came to finally uh, do the ceremony for Baisam. And she was on that, that group. And so the guy she had been engaged to was just, uh, uh, you know, killed in the car crash. And so we met in Amritsar after all that, and we uh, kind of fell back in love. You know? So I thought you know, that this was going to go on, but what happened was uh, people saw us talking together and stuff, and so we were immediately separated. And uh, I, she got sent back to Los Angeles, and I got sent to New Mexico to run the drug program. So the first time... Uh, it wasn't that incident that made me uh, want to leave 3HO. It was, I was running the program and I was just there in the last year and was already in shambles. And so they just handed me a big smelly albatross that was a wreck. Mm. And I had uh, eight young men uh, that were there supposedly going through this program. The program on paper was a really innovative and good program. But uh, what happened basically is that the ashram and the Yogi Bhajan had stolen all the money. Take for the program it was a grant, a granted a government grant, mm. and they'd taken all the money and bought Peruvian paso horses and land and whatever, and uh, cowboy boots, and uh, I didn't have enough money to uh, feed these guys. I had a, a one helper, and he spent his time going to the markets in town getting throwaway produce. It was that bad. Wow! And then finally, the uh, inspector came and he saw what was happening, and he shut the program down. So and they took these kids away. And a couple of them had to go back to jail. So I was pissed. I was really, really angry. And uh, I confronted, we, went, we had a big meeting at the ashram and uh, they, they came down on me for talking to some of the, the teenage girls because they lived right across the street. We were in the gold house in Espanola. The, the drug program. We had first it started way out in the desert and they, then they shut that down because it cost too much money. 
and then they brought him back into the into the ashram grounds. And in this meeting in the ashram, uh, they came down on me for uh, for talking to the, the teenage girls, you know. But these were all young girls I knew in Los Angeles and stuff. So it was like we were just friends. And uh, they had a big thing. They were having a a plague of uh, of couples cheating on each other, married couples and stuff in the ashram. So they had a big rule, you know, that that uh, the single men couldn't talk to talk to anybody. And uh, and I said, this is baloney. So they called me out in the middle of the meeting in front of everybody, and I blew. I just blew, and I started screaming at them about the program. And I, I brought up all this stuff. The money was gone. Where's the money? You know, and you're coming down on, on me for this little crap. And it, it, it almost turned into a huge gang fight. You know, all the guards got really ticked off. And there was one guard who uh, was having problems with his wife and he got really ticked off. And we all started to go at it. And, uh, you know, people, other guards jumped in and broke it all up. And then after that, they didn't know what to do with me. So they put me on the council. And it was the first time I got to actually see how all the inner inners work. And I was, I saw for the first time that uh, there was no uh, freedom in thought or anything like that. It was one of the reasons I, I came into this was because the 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 uh, beauty of the Khalsa that it was democratic. You know, we got rid of gurus, and this is what I believed. And then I saw it wasn't true. It was an, it was a monarchy. And then I was really insulted that they, they thought that I would just go along with this. Mm. You know, I was, I was, uh, the way I felt, these kids had come to the house of Guru Ramdas for help and they got treated like that and then had to go back to jail. And I was outraged. Mm. So uh, Yogi Bhajan knew I was going to, you know, after him and going to confront him personally. So he got out of there. And, uh, and then I stayed and uh, for a while, and then I ended up back in Los Angeles as a Sabadar again. And she would, uh, I was thinking about leaving, but I didn't know what to do quite, you know, and uh, uh, I had other ways of, of making a living anything. So I wasn't panicked. You know, I was a musician and had other things to do, but I would read from the, the Guru Granth Sahib at night. And then she would come in from the back after I started reading so I couldn't talk to her. She'd just sit there with me and, and wait. And then before I finished reading, she would leave. Mm. So I never got to talk to her, you know, and this was really strange behavior. And this went on for, for oh, about a month. And then uh, I finally, I went in and I, and I went to Yogi Bhajan and the, all the secretaries were there. And I said, I wanted permission to, to marry her. And they all flipped out. I mean, they just, Yogi Bhajan went down a black hole and just like, you know, and, and the secretaries were, you know, and uh, finally, I think it was Narendra, maybe she said, uh, she said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss this and then we'll talk to you about it. I said, okay. So a week went by and uh, I was guarding on the street and uh, Karen Joe came out the side door of the ashram there and she came to me and said, uh, says, you can't ever ask that again. And uh, that's all I know, you know, and, and she didn't say anything else. Mm. And, but when that meeting happened and they did that, I knew something was terribly wrong. I mean, I felt the knife just and, uh, and my aura was shattered from trying to figure out what was going on. And then finally, she just said, uh, 
you can't ever ask that again. And that's all she said. And and then she was like very tearful and stuff. And then she she left behind her gate. Mm. And uh, I said, but that's it for me, you know. After all this, I was ready to leave. And I did. And then uh, I met a woman and I got married. And uh, she was uh, studying Kundalini Yoga. She wasn't really a 3HO person, but uh, we were, you know, doing that together. And about a year after this incident uh, at the gate with Karen Joe, probably a year went by and she called me up. Mm. And, uh, and then she told me the whole story. And that uh, basically, you know, everything that Premka had said in her book. But I, as I were, we're talking about this, and when all this came down, when she, Primka came out through the book, I realized that this was the first scandal. You know, the first scandal was with me and Karen Joe, because Primka hadn't talked yet. Right. And what year was this about? Uh, I'm really bad with years. Maybe 75. About 75. So what did she end up telling you? For those that haven't read Premka's book, doesn't have the full scope, what did she tell you in that, that time? That uh, he he forced himself on her, and and uh, raped her, and and was trying to get her into other sexual relationships with the other secretaries, mm. and uh, she was broken, you know, and she was uh, living all over the place on the streets and stuff, and uh, you know, and uh, trying to do the best she can, and uh, it was a terrible terrible meeting, you know. I, I it probably wrecked my marriage because I, you know, still loved her. Yeah. And uh, I loved my wife. I had a, a, we were a, a great person, you know, and we'd stayed together seven years and we're still very good friends. But uh, after all that, I just couldn't function. You know, I lost my sexual energy. I was very upset mm. and kind of lost. Uh, but that woman near Bo was, uh, I don't know, she was kind of like sent to me sort of as an angel to keep me together. And we uh, started studying martial arts together. And uh, she was a professional mountain climber. And she was the first one that take, you know, teach me how to do that and go out and live in the woods by myself for months at a time. And uh, so we had a, a really wonderful seven years. Mm. And, uh, but then her father died and uh, she just broke. And then right after that, we split up. Mm-hmm. So that's the beginning. I was off on my own. I was wrecked, mm-hmm. but I was a very disciplined yogi. And, and it, from then I went and studied with two Tibetan masters, you know, and, uh, uh, Kalu Rinpoche is a wonderful man. One of the last, the cave monks and, uh, Kaibiji, and then the Dalai Lama, you know, introduced, uh, initiated me into the Kala Chakra Tantra and then Kaibiji, uh, Tetsing, Setsrol Rinpoche uh, was the one that the Dalai Lama sent me to. Dalai Lama was wonderful. He says, I don't really know anything about this stuff. You know, I'm just the head of the lineage. So I'm going to send you to a real yogi, you know. So I, you know, I kept going. And then uh, I started getting private drug rehab work and uh, made a very good living at that. I would actually live in people's houses, uh, very rich people, and they would pay me to, to live there and get them off uh, drugs. Wow. Hard job, you know, to live in somebody's house and tell them they're a jerk, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
And I kept the yoga and kept my, my, uh, the one thing I kept from, from uh, 3HO at that time was uh, my yoga became very simple. Uh, long neck on cars was my savior. Through all these years, that was my savior. Breath of fire, long neck on car. Mm-hmm. And I did other things, but I was doing more, more martial arts at the time and I was doing more Tibetan stuff. And uh, then uh, I was in um, the East Coast on Martha's Vineyard and I was uh, being courted by uh, Sony Records. And uh, while I was there, I saw an article about the Bosnian War and it just, it broke my heart. The, the, I still have the pictures. There's a picture out of the news of a little kid uh, touching his father's hands through the window of the bus they were taking the kid away uh, because the Serbs were about ready to attack Sarajevo. And, uh, and then another one uh, about a week later, or no, it was about a month later, where uh, the uh, Serbs had come into the uh, Bosnian territory and uh, there was a, the war started and uh, there was all these little kids in, in a, uh, an insane, an insane uh, asylum hospital for children. Kids who just weren't there. And the director of the hospital just split when the Serb army came and left them there. And uh, so uh, the UN soldiers finally uh, showed up and uh, they found these kids had been sitting there in the, in the hospital, you know, kids with no, no brains, totally insane, with fighting all around them for like six days by themselves, trying to make it to themselves. So I was outraged and I just said, uh, God, I'll go. And then I forgot I said it. <laughs> I just, I didn't know what I'd do, but I'll go. You know, so uh, a year later, uh, Sony uh, Records dumped me and I was really upset. And I ended up going to Amsterdam to play with a jazz band there. And I, wherever I go, I, I kind of set up a class, a Kundalini class for just service, you know, and, uh, and that started and it filled up with Serbs and uh, draft dodgers from the war. And uh, we became really close friends. And they asked me to go to Serbia to start training the peace groups, the anti-Milosevic groups. It was Milosevic, the head of the Serbs, you know, pretty much started the war. And they asked me to go there. I was living in a, an apartment with a, in a room that I rented from a, a Quaker lady. And uh, she wanted to go. You know? and so we took the bus and we went there and that's how the whole thing started. And then we went different ways and I uh, kept heading further south and, and uh, from Belgrade and went into, uh, was doing concerts at the uh, uh, refugee camps. A lot of young kids and stuff had lost their parents. And, uh, and that was at the Hungarian border. And then the, the man who ran all that had a, a, a people that he was sponsoring down in Sarajevo. And he wanted me to, to go down there. And so I made it from there to Croatia. And then I was mind blown, mind blown. And from, from the, the bus from uh, Zagreb down to Sarajevo was an all day trip. And 
that whole day looking out to the bus window, every single building along the way was blown up. It was like a total, really bad major war. And I'd never been in something like that. So I ended up in Sarajevo and uh, met these people and, and started living with them and uh, teaching classes. And uh, they had never heard of yoga or anything. So it was like really a, a weird thing. <laughs> and then uh, the classes became popular. And what I didn't know was that the, you know, before the war, the Serbs and the, and the Bosnian Muslims and the, the, the Christians, they all lived together in the same towns, like us living here next door to a Jew or Catholic or something. And uh, everybody got along. But when the war started, it broke up along those lines, mm -hmm. Serbian Orthodox, uh, Croatian Catholic, Bosnian Muslims. But a lot of the, the kids and people remained in, in, in uh, Sarajevo and they were coming to my class. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that they were from the different warring tribes. So the UN came in and saw what I was doing, UN of Vienna, and they started paying me to do that. So wow. I said, this is really weird. And I'm the first Kundalini yoga teacher getting paid by the UN. And, and uh, this was at the end of the war. It was kind of dying down. But you, know, you couldn't go outside because your, your, your snipers were still in the hills and stuff. It became very intense. And uh, during that time, I was working with a lot of women who were been raped, been thrown in the rape camps. And uh, the girl that, that who uh, had the house that I was living in uh, was, you know, thrown in the rape camps. So I was working a lot with really traumatized people and uh, shell-shocked uh, young soldiers and stuff. And they didn't know anything about yoga anyway. So I developed this real easy style of basically kundalini, a lot of breath work and a lot of easy movement and, uh, and pushing them really hard. But there, I really went back strong into Kundalini Yoga because it was such a depressing place. And uh, uh, there was a lot of suicide all around me and uh, I was getting fallen apart. And uh, I went back to, to uh, Long Econ Cars and it totally saved me, mm. you know, I, but it was intense. You know, the, the people dying around you and the, uh, sometimes I'd have to chant up to, to uh, eight hours a day wow. to keep, to keep my aura. Yeah. Cause I would, otherwise I'd be useless and I was getting depressed and, uh, but that, that's when the yoga really took off for me. And I started having all the experiences that people want to have when you do that. And it worked, it worked magnificently. And, uh, and telepathically. Um, I should give my little uh, alert, you know, so no one gets upset for the mystical stuff, but it did. But you just have to put your time at it, you know. And and uh, in in war zones, you can't you can't talk to people about healing. You can't do psychotherapy. They're so angry and they're so upset. But at night, I would do my healing practices and uh, send it to certain people I'd meet in the city and stuff. And the next day they always knew, they always knew. So it took a long time before we could even talk about this stuff. So, but the meantime, they're coming to classes and I'm, and I'm like uh, super charged because I'm doing up to eight hours a day, some days, not all of them, but no, never any less than three hours a day. Yeah. 
And uh, finally, the the uh, everything opened up, and I was awake, you know, like twenty four seven for the next eight months. That means my body slept, but I was there in the city, mm. just chanting Nam, but, but not chanting Nam. Chanting Nam is a uh, is sort of a a symbol for what they mean is is uh, the Nam is everything. It's just this vibration, you know. And uh, so when they're talking about chanting Bani and all that stuff, they're talking about the sound, you know, the Nam, becoming one with that and letting it move through you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it started doing that, and uh, it started getting very popular. And that's how I started that whole thing. Um, wow. And developed that yoga. And then later, Kosovo and, uh, and up in Croatia and Tuzla where, you know, a lot of, uh, I, was, I was teaching in places where, you know, was a, people didn't really understand what a horrible war it was. You know, the you know, places where they were taking old people and uh, breaking their legs and, and feeding them into timber mill saws. You know, just absolute brutality from the Middle Ages because they invoked that. The uh, the Milosevic and the and the Karadich, you know, uh, the head of the Bosnian Serbs was a psychiatrist, mm. and uh, he knew all about hypnosis and controlling people's minds and stuff. And uh, they're invoking uh, energies from uh, the 14th century, you know, uh, the uh, when uh, the Serbs had to fight the uh, the Muslims, you know, and they were like, remember, you know, remember what the uh, the Muslims did to us in the 14th century. We're going to get them back now, you know, that kind of insanity. Right. So I, uh, I just did my yoga, and uh, there were times I was honestly, you know, felt a little guilty. I was so blissed out, <laughs> and everybody around me was so miserable. But that's what I had to be to be effective, mm. you know. And it was just a matter of for those months, just sending that vibe out all the time in the city. And it worked, things started changing. You, you visualize what you want to happen and you put that energy behind it and it happens. Um, because war and all the stuff they do is it's just a knee jerk reaction. You know, there's no mind behind it. It's what they've been doing forever. So when you're starting to do Tantra and you're really deep in the chance, you're, you're acting by, by uh, choice and volition. Uh, all that other stuff that goes on and the politics and everything is we've been doing that for thousands of years. And so it's like, it's not, there's no mind to it. There's no awakening to any of those actions. So you, if you chant that long enough and you start doing the yoga intensely like that, you realize that when you do something by choice, uh, it is much, much more powerful than all that, than all the politicians, all the armies in the world. And slowly, you know, the, the NATO troops came and uh, the uh, I-4 came. And I was actually starting to, to teach them too. They, uh, they wanted a, some kind of program where the, the people could meet, uh, the people in the city could meet the soldiers coming in and stuff. So it was a very wonderful situation. And during that whole time, I developed my own kind of style of doing it. I just call it Kundalini Core Foundations. Mm. And uh, would you mind explaining a little bit about like what you felt like was the core versus all the excess, or do you want to get to that a little later? 
Naduna, the core, you know, all this the stuff that's going on in the rooms, everybody's looking for the the pure yoga and, and you know, and Yogi Ji made all this stuff, all this up, and so it's no good. Uh, you know, yoga, Kundalini is about uh, moving breath and compression. That's it. You know, yeah. it doesn't have to be any more complex than that. And so if you understand the basics of your locks and, uh, you know, I would do like an hour of a uh, breath of fire and then I ground it with frogs and then I'd start my long cars. You know, and they just open everything up and you see everything you need to know. And then uh, you, you, you make it up from there. Once you understand how the Kundalini works, uh, you can do whatever you need to do with it. And, and you can make up your own stuff. And then really that's what you should do. Yes. Uh, one of the gifts, you know, that I was always thankful for, uh, uh, to Yogi Bhajan for was that in the beginning, in the early days, before there was any, you know, everything went wacko, he, my first encounter with him was, you know, I met him after I met him at a meeting of the ways. I met uh, uh, two other people that I said, I first started with uh, Dr. Swami uh, Mishra and Swami, Swami Satchananda. I met all three of them together at this in Los Angeles at a meeting the waves thing. And, uh, and I went to talk to him and I said, I want to do this and this and this. And, and, and Yogi Bhajan said, just zip it, you know, and he says, go and do two and a half hours of long acting cars for 40 days and then we'll talk. So when you get, you know, if you do that, your kundalini comes up and you understand it from the inside out. And he did that to a lot of people in the beginning, in the beginning days. And a lot of those people, that's all they did. They finished that, but there was no teacher training. You had the basic classes and stuff. And after they finished 40 days of doing that, you sent them off to go start their own, you know, things. And, uh, you know, the, these people in the beginning went off and started teaching in parks, you know, and two years later they had whole empires and stuff. And to me, it was all what was released from that chant. It was powerful and it really had an effect. And 3HO grew from a, a gathering of a pretty spaced out hippies, you know, to a worldwide organization in just a couple of years. Right. And uh, he got everybody off drugs. He got everybody off welfare. There's a lot of good things that happened. It wasn't all bad stuff. And uh, that ability to be able to do that when I, when I needed to, to be able to sit down for two and a half, three hours and do that saved me through all those years. It saved me through the depression after what happened with Karen Job. Yeah. It saved me in the middle of wars. In fact, that's why I went. Uh, I was just, you know, wandering around. I took in jobs. I was singing in bars, doing that, still doing sadhana <laughs> and took various jobs. And then uh, what finally made me make the decision when I was in Amsterdam to go was that, you know, I want to test this yoga. I want to see if it really works. Either that, or I'm 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 just you know, I'm not all that happy with my life. But maybe I can go die in a noble way, you know. So it was either one of those two things. <laughs> and uh, and you're in the middle of a war zone, and uh, I've learned all about aura, you know. And uh, and you can you can do just pretty much anything you want, anything you can imagine once you've got it all cranked up and moving. 
But the problem nowadays is that the people won't push it that far. And, uh, you know, I don't think in teacher training, they, they make them do it two and a half hours, maybe once. Where we were, the, the whole beginning years of 3HO, we were doing that as our morning sadhana. Daily, standard, right? Yeah, and uh, so you have to really, you would do it. I think 3HO really shot itself in the foot when it started making teacher training their cash cow, and uh, you know they really lowered the standards. That the the people don't get a third of the training we got in the ashrams, and and we had the Guru Granth Sahib, we had uh, Seva, we had all these other things that later became a big big part of my life as I became more Sikhi. Mm. Um, so just for clarification, George, like I, I know you're referring to the Premka group page and for listeners, for those of you that don't know what that means, there's been a private Facebook group that in a matter of months grew to like 5,000 plus members. And this was a part of the forum that over the last year, you know, in, in March when Premka's book came out um, or Pamela Dyson's book came out, um, this was the place that it started opening up conversations were being had. And a part of the birth of this podcast was to move it out of private secret places and to make these stories publicly available because I know how much they were breaking me open to a much larger tapestry. Um, but I'm, I'm bringing that up to say, there's, you know, people trying to reconcile what's real, what's not real, all the things and their approach to their own practice now or to their teaching or whatever. And um, do you want to lend a, a lens of like, what do you feel? So yes, those early days had some foundation practices, but can you give us a little more, give listeners a perspective of how does one start to distill what feels like foundational real stuff versus all of the predatory mysticism that's wrapped up in Yogi Bhajan's agenda within the teachings? Well, I was able to do it in the beginning in the, in the first place because I listened to him. He said, don't put the middleman between you and God. And, and uh, so, plus Yogi Bhajan was only one of three Kundalini teachers I had. Okay. So I was never really hung up on that system. And, uh, but I found... In, in the beginning days, I didn't know anybody who thought of becoming a hotshot teacher. You know, we didn't do this to become teachers and make a lot of money. At least everybody I knew. We wanted God. Mm. That's why I was in it. I was, you know, I was raised to be a Catholic priest and my family left the church because, you know, when my parents got divorced and stuff. And, uh, but I still wanted that. And uh, I started doing that, you know, that was the beauty of him pushing right from the beginning before I did anything else, being pushed through two and a half for 40 days, two and a half hours. And then I got sick on the 39th day and I only did two hours. And on the 40th day, I only made it through an hour. So I went back to him and told him, okay, I finished. And he goes, did you do it perfectly? And I said, no, I got sick on the 39, 40 days. He says, do it again. So I did it again. That's how I got started training. And, and uh, the, the, that was the intensity of, of training in those days. And so if, that's why I'm saying, if you had an experience of Kundalini, you knew what it was and you knew what was baloney and you knew it was lies. And me as a bodyguard, that just amplified my perceptions. And uh, 
you do get telepathy. You, you do get very psychic and uh, that's what a guard does. You know, and you have to, it's not, if you, uh, at least in this situation, if something comes down, you're too late already. The job is to perceive something's going to happen before it happens. So you're in the mystical, you know, and uh, it was, it was uh, kind of natural to me. So when I got to this, the, the room here and the room opened up and uh, I started to listen to everybody's stories. I know, I, I know Primka was shocked. Nobody knew anything, you know, all the stories of the young people. And uh, I certainly didn't. Like all and, the uh, kids' stories and stuff. Yeah. And then uh, a lot of people got really, or they're, you know, you've heard of the really angry at the yoga. The yoga doesn't work. He made it all up. It was stuff. Well, that didn't mean anything because I was making it all up too. But I was making it up according to the situation I was in. And to me, that was the core of, of knowing the reality is that I found I had to put my butt on the line. You know, when you're really on the line, and you have to come up with uh, stuff that's like saving your life and saving other people's lives. Mm -hmm. It's there. It works. It's, it's the, I think the trick of the whole thing is that you have to totally show up and, and uh, do believe in the supernatural. When I didn't know what to do, I would just do that meditation expecting that angels, whoever, whatever, would come and tell me what to do, and always did, got out of amazing situations. Later, I started training uh, young people who were coming out of a peace study colleges from America, and they were being sent to the to war zones for the first time, and I had to train them, use these young, pretty arrogant kids, you know, with college degrees, who'd never been in a war zone, mm. and uh, I was training them basically not to get themselves killed, and, and all my other people killed, and uh, so when it's that edgy, and I was developed my after the the months of doing the long neck on cars, I developed my own little meditation called uh, uh, "I'm going to die in five minutes." So everything I do in yoga is like if I only if I know I only have five minutes to die, I'm not going to let my mind wander over the place and you know how long is this second taking off, and. Uh, I got to do this. So I got to go out and teach a class and I'm going to be a great teacher and all that stuff. If I only had five minutes to live, what would I be thinking about? Mm. And it's just me and God. And, and uh, so I developed, that was very much part of the getting in my style um, to people who were in life or death situations. And uh, it became very successful. A lot of, and also a lot of people I sent home. You know, they would uh, get there and they would start this. Uh, I don't know why I'm here. I'm just looking for myself, you know, and I, 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 uh, I believed, you know, I want to do a good thing, but I'm, I'm kind of, I've got all these doubts. I don't know if I can do it. Myself. And I go, look, that's fine, but you should have done that before you came. You can't do that here. You'll get killed if you do that here. You got to pay attention with your whole being. And that's what, would have, what was beautiful about the yoga is that in a simple, short amount of time, people who had never relaxed their whole lives in an hour class, I could get them to flatline, completely flatline the nervous systems and, and uh, have an experience of, of uh, something else. And that's the way I always taught was that um, I believe that, that I didn't, I just taught it as a science of the nervous system. 
And I said, I didn't really push Sikhism or anything other than that. And I was dealing with a lot of Muslims and, uh, and uh, you know, they don't want to change the religion or anything like that. And, uh, and so I, I, after I taught them, I would say, okay, now make it your own. And we go through the Quran and go through the 99 days of God. And I changed all the mantras. I said, pick your own mantras. I taught them with the, with the, uh, the mantras we learned. So they understood how it worked and, and, and how to hold the, the, the power and all that stuff. Once they understood that, I say, now make it your own mantras. Mm. And, uh, but it was always with that intensity. You've only got five minutes to get this done. You've only got five minutes to connect to God. You know, you don't have to do 40 day Kriyas. You don't have to go on it. You can do it anytime you want. In fact, one time I was reading the Guru Granth Sahib in the, in the Kampath, so I couldn't stop. But I came across this line that says, if you want God, why haven't you done it? And I'm like, really, like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Well, because I was too busy doing 40-day Kriyas you know, and, and, and wondering when you know, the big flash would come and all that stuff. Well, busy following the rules rather than critically like right. distilling information let the information come in and distill through your own soul experience and then re-deliver that information into the world. Yeah. So I didn't, I'm not pushing. I was made for this. I came from a, a military family, you know, and I grew up with the whole thing. So I didn't, I'm not suggesting people go off and go to war to be able to build this intensity. But I do tell them that you find your own way of doing that and some other things, some, you know, you, you start an innovative program, you, you do something you've never done before. Yes. That's when I went to Palestine two years ago. I didn't, uh, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was okay. Here's a mystic alert. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm doing my life here in California and, uh, and I just get the, what you call it vibe. Yeah. From uh, Guru, Guru Tegh Bahadur. And, and uh, you know, he'd never really come up in my meditations before. And, uh, but I always loved the guy when I was an Amritsar before the, you know, before the temple got blown up, there was a little temple uh, for Tegh Bahadur at the front there. And I used to meditate there all the time. So I, I felt the closest with him. For people who don't know, uh, Tegh Bahadur gave his life to protect the Hindus. You know, and that became a, a, a core foundation of the Sikh faith is that the Sikhs, you know, they, they are not there just there for themselves. They're there for everybody and to protect everybody. So he got beheaded for that. So I just got this idea, go to, you know, go to Palestine, go to Gaza, go to Yemen. And I'm like, God, you know, what are you, these people are killing each other. I don't want to go do that. But it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. So. I said, all right, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I just said, oh, what I, the only thing I can think of was just go there and do something I've never done before or that has never happened there before. So I got there and uh, the only thing I could think of was knit now. <laughs> and and uh, I'd never, you know, done knit them there before. And, and, uh, and no. Or reading the entire knit them? Entire knit them. Okay. Yeah, over the years, I was, I never left reading the Guru Granth Sahib. I certainly wasn't a fanatic Sikh. And I never, I didn't get into the, to the uh, Nitnim, well, maybe till just four or five years ago, where I really got serious about it. Uh, 
And that, that started to, that really saved me too, because uh, I didn't, I didn't become Sikh or, or Amadari because I was looking for God. I already had that. I always had those experiences, but I have a life of war. I'm always fighting something, fighting people like Yogi, but you know what he did and people like that and uh, crazy politics, you know, and the, and that's what the Sikhs did. Mm. And uh, it was kind of natural for me. So if you're going to fight and you're going to be at war, you want to be with the Khalsa, <laughs> you know? I can feel those brothers and sisters, you know? And, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the big gun. But we don't fight with sword and shield anymore. You know, so when I do that nitnim, um, I'm swinging swords. I'm, I'm swinging, you know, I'm sending that energy out with the, the sound. Swords. Mm-hmm. sound. And so when I learned nitnim, I never even learned the English translation for a couple of years. I was so fascinated with the sound. And it's a yoga in itself. Yes. You know, when you're moving your jaw, ekongkar, satnam, karta, purik, nirbo, nirbo, to the roof of the mouth and then really, yeah. it really creates you're a sound. pumping that like cerebral it. spinal fluid and, and your brain is like, woo, woo. And that's a whole yoga. Once you get all that moving, that'll take care of the whole rest of the body. That's right. So I really got into it. And as a musician, I started to understand the genius of the Sikh gurus. I didn't really like the music for many, many years. And then slowly uh, started seeing what it did. But if anybody's read, uh, you know, the Dasam Granth, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, beautiful poems from Guru Gobind Singh about Durga and the swords. So he was really into Durga. Mm. And Durga's, you know, was bloody and Durga stomped people, uh, but did it out of love so they could be reincarnated into, into better situations. And uh, I begin to see, you know, all this that the Guru Gobind Singh was doing was just a continuation of that energy, but now it had been passed, you know, to, to these people to do that. Mm-hmm. So I started to do it like that. And anyway, I ended up doing that in, in Palestine in the midst of three uh, Muslim mosques. And uh, I said, no Sikh had ever been there and done those chants. And that's all I knew to do. As soon as I did that, mystic alert, uh, everything came to me. I met the, the, the two most uh, famous uh, girl warriors in, in uh, Palestine, ones known all over the, the Islamic world and stuff. And they started uh, taking classes with me and the, the whole thing took off. We started getting money to, you know, to, to pay us. I didn't have the money to go. I just went with a few hundred bucks. Money started coming in from people, uh, students from here, you know, in California and stuff. And it just all flowed. It went perfectly. And it just, that's what happens. So that's how you know it's the, the yoga is real, is you test it. You first of all, you have to have a I don't know. It's it's gotta be something for me, it's gotta be something more than thinking of making a living. Yes. It's gotta be something more than that. And uh and that five minutes to live, I don't know. I just kept thinking of Guru Take Bahadur. If it's gotta go to that, okay, it's gotta go to that. But it went completely the other way. It, it went blissful and everything I needed came to me. Yeah. And that's the way it works. You, you really have to put your butt on the line before it, it takes off. It's your intention that, that, that releases the Kundalini. 
And then, well, and I think also you're pointing out a very important point. Like I teach through this lens as well, more like as a nervous system, I've never called it as taught by the initials. I just wasn't ever into that, but specifically on the nervous system and the pressure release or what you called compression, creating that intern, using the body as a hydraulic system to, to divert and move stagnant energy into a new form of energy. I mean, that's essentially what we're doing within our own system, which then changes the spinal serum of the brain. And that's not something that he invented. This is ancient science that just happened to be delivered through lots of different teachers along the way. Right. And I, now I, I do, there's maybe five things left from, from uh, 3HO that I do in Kudalini Yoga. Okay. Uh, and they were all basic. You can find them in a lot of different cultures. Cool. And uh, that's the beginning of it, you know, and then I, you know, change my chance according to where I am or what, what the situation is. Which I love because I've talked about that too, is that what we're talking about is not or sound current and there's sound currents that aren't gurumukhi. There are other sound currents that also create vibrational frequency. And so you can adapt that. So I love that about what you're sharing is you teach it, you teach the foundations, and then you're telling people, make it your own, adapt it to your culture, adapt it to the way that your students will receive it and need it based on their lives. Yeah. But what releases the whole power is you got to step over the line. You got to commit. To, to, you have to have a reason to be doing this. And, mm -hmm. and if it's something that, that, you know, I would have given my life for those people, I fell in love with them. And, and uh, when you fall in love with them and you look at this, I'm, you know, the, the lines in, in Japchi in the beginning, uh, well, Guru Nanak says, uh, how, do you, how does a person on this earth become happy? Only by finding your preordained destiny. And, and, uh, the more I began to meditate on that, I said it was it wasn't like preordained in that that God is you know putting this you in this and it's all preordained and you've got no say in this. It was like I was having experiences like I was there in the beginning. I chose to do this, or I was there with God and, and we chose together that to do this, or or I'm mystical or people don't like that talk. But when when you're in it, you're holding on to anything. And, and, and it works and you see it. Uh, the result of this was that I really learned what Kundalini was. Kundalini is not the, the, the breath and the Kriyas and stuff, it's just prep. But Kundalini is, is honor. Mm. Your honor is a gift you give yourself. You, you, you give your word and you keep it. You, you go, you go do say what you're going to do. You, you become fearless to, you know, to, to, to step over the line. And then you do that and you follow it through and you see it, you see that seed planted. That's what raises your Kundalini. You walk around with it all the time. You don't do an hour class. Okay. My Kundalini's up. And then you go home and watch stupid news, you know, <laughs> or gossip. And, and uh, that's what does it. So it was that that as I started reading more, you know, becoming more Sikhi, it was that, that, that I had done those things and I was proud of it. There's pr pride, is, pride is the negative side of it. The positive side of that, what we're talking about is honor. And that just means following through. Mm. 
And then that's the gift you give yourself for the rest of your life, for not the rest of your life, for the rest of uh, other lives. Mm -hmm. Sorry, mystic alert here. Uh, well, I think it's important to understand that there's a lot of beauty and mysticism, and then Yogi Bhajan also used mysticism as a way to weave falsities through the teachings and in people's lives. And I think decoding that is important when we're really dealing with mysticism. That's that's absolutely right. You know, and that, and that that's why to me the, the I, I can't very easily separate the yoga from from uh, Yogi Bhajan. It really has to do with who's teaching it, you know. And there are the way Three H O does it. He's the master, you know. And uh, there's a lot of masters around, but real masters don't care if anybody knows that they're master. That's right. Masters just doing it, you know. You do your duty, and and. Uh, uh, and it's quite simple once you get all that lined up. So, but the result on, on of that was because uh, I was raised Catholic and uh, and in Sikhi too. Forgiveness is a big, big thing. Uh, there's lots and lots of lines in the Guru Granth Sahib about forgiveness from you know Nanak and, and uh, Arjun and uh, Kabir. But you can't just forgive, you know, if you're, if you've been damaged, like some of these second generation people and stuff, it's, I would never say, okay, you got to forgive, you know, icky sweet kind of thing. No. It doesn't work. It happens by, I made, I went out and I made my life first. I made my life. I took what I, I, I did, uh, the, which was just years and years of Kundalini Yoga. And I put it into situations where people had never done you know, what I'd done in Kundalini Yoga. And and, uh, and I felt that started to heal me. Mm. So I went back and I said, my life is really good. I'm a really happy, complete person. That means when you, when you look back, everything that happened to me uh, made me who I am. So I couldn't hold on to the anger, but it, like I said, he gave me everything I required of a teacher. I didn't require his bullshit, but what I required was no middleman. And, and uh, the last teaching he gave to me before we, uh, it was actually in our last argument. When we split up finally, it was like five hours, eyeball to eyeball. Really? Yeah, yelling at each other. And then we were kind of exhausted. And then we went back to, okay, you know, I've known you for so many years and you know, we're, we're kind of, we know each other and we could talk. And, and he, he gave me like my last hookum. And he says, I know you're leaving. And, it, and the hookum was go find out what character is and what Khalsa is. And, that, and so character, that's a big <laughs> subject. And I, that's how I went off into the world as a sadhu. And uh, so he, the, the pushing me through the, through the, uh, two and a half hours of long neck on cars. I had it. I knew how to do it. I had no excuses. It was the, if I it wasn't happening to me, it was because I was lazy and I wasn't doing it. And the last teaching, you know, in that last conversation with was learn to forgive instantly. You know, oh my gosh, you know, and then from Catholicism, like the Christ said, learn to forgive 70 times seven. And he said instantly. Yeah. And uh, that was a big one. I didn't know how to do it. So I had to do all this other work. I made my life first to be able to even think of what the forgiveness would be. Mm -hmm. And uh, I always took it 
everything I, I, I see is like fighting to me, sword fighting, or, or uh, I began to understand what he meant that like when you're in martial arts, you're, you're uh, so you're doing your practicing being attacked for, by four people. You, you, the person comes and you handle it, it's gone. And then you go to the next one, you handle it, it's gone. You handle it and it's gone. You can't hold on to anything. You just can't hold on. You're always at the tip of the sword, never knowing what's gonna happen. And that's where your whole attention has to be. Mm. Otherwise you get killed. So that's the way he was saying to me, that's life is gonna come at us so hard. Everything that's happening to us now and so fast. The only way you're gonna get through this is let it go as fast as you can and move on to the next. Start thinking about how I'm gonna change this, not how bad I was fucked over, you know? Mm. You get wasted in that and then someone gets you from the side. <laughs> right. That's an alert too, I think in martial terms. Yeah, like a real martial arts or, or warrior perspective on it. I think it's a really beautiful. So uh, I was able to let it go and, and forgive him. And uh, um, I didn't, uh, it was for me. I think he's going to have his karma to deal with, you know. Karen Jote died and then he died. And then I, uh, I think he's dead, she's dead. What am I holding on this for, you know? <laughs> so it wasn't hard to do, but to forgive. One time he came to me, Mystic Alert, he came to me in a dream, shaved and bald. <laughs> you know, that was a mind blower because it was like instantly, it was, it was, he was telling me all, whatever you've gone through, that's all gone. Because all the past trauma had to do with the whole, being, you know, the, the Sikh thing and him with his beard and his turban and, you know, the, the power and all that stuff, it was all gone. Mm. And I began to see, you know, I have a relationship with this, you know, this kind of teachings for a long time. And, and uh, in the Guru Granth when they talk about getting off the wheel. Uh, what does, what does that take? It takes everything, and 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 uh, and it's it's worth everything. So the way I began to see uh, after I, I had made my life and I had the strength to, to to like just be here in the now, living my life, looking at what's what I want to create, not you know being a victim. I found there's nothing passive in Kundalini Yoga to me. It's like I don't I don't believe in this acceptance stuff. You know, it's like, I don't accept anything. Uh, yeah, I accept my own rage when I'm pissed off. Yes. You know, uh, and, uh, and, I, and I learned the Kundalini how to channel it. I said, you don't do it with sword and shield anymore. I do it with sound. Mm. And, but I don't ever want to lose that ferocity. That's what it gave me. Mm. So everything that happened uh, ended up giving me abilities in the work that I do today. So at some point I had to let go of all the, like, you know, my life is really good now. And, and uh, I had to let go of the anger and, uh, and I did. And then that dream happened. And then that was it. That was the end of it. Mm. Um, 
And so the only reason you even came back into this conversation is because Pamela Dyson released her book and then the Facebook group opened and, and you are obviously, you know, um, Dr. Alexander. So like they had pulled you, like, here is the conversation. So you joined it. Yeah. Same reason you did. It's like, I care about these people, but I, 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 I get a little upset in the room. Not really. Cause I realize they're doing their healing. And they're in their own process and awakening yeah. aspect. Every stage of this is so unique. And if that means people have to put it all aside forever, bless them. And if it means a different level of distillation and processing, bless them too, right? Yeah. But I just wanted to, to, to leave this here that this is, you can actually do this and this is the way it worked. Here's a story that, that I, I held on to over the years that, about it being raised as a Christian. We have this story of Lucifer. You know, and, and uh, Lucifer in the Christian story was he was the high angel and then he blew it and he got kicked out and God created hell. And that's the thing. It's just a separation. It's a good and bad thing. The Sufi story is very different. Mm. The Sufi story is, is uh, God is uh, by himself. So he creates Lucifer as his first creation in order to have a sense of, you know, love, worship. And then later he creates mankind. And he tells Lucifer, I want you to serve mankind. And uh, Lucifer says, no, I won't. You, you, you created me only to love you and to serve you, and I won't, I won't serve mankind. And then the story goes, it was God who got angry and blew it and created hell, which is Saturn for them, and threw Lucifer out. And then as Lucifer is leaving, he turns around and he says, just remember that this mankind will forget you. But I love you so much that when they do forget you, I'll make their life so miserable for them that they have to come back to you. Interesting. Get what I'm saying? They're in cahoots. In order to bring it back to unity, ekong kar, you got to get over this, you know, that uh, everything happens to, 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 to uh, further your soul if you use it. What should it cost to get off the wheel? Yeah. We, we as a species are, are trained to, to uh, worship the king and bow to the king and take all the, you know, take all the, everything comes from the king. You don't even think for yourself. And the genius of Guru Gobind Singh was he stepped down from the guruship and says, now you be the guru. Mm -hmm. The guru is the, the, the cause of the fire, you know, and yeah. it's democratic. That was the huge, huge gift. That changed the whole history of the world and the religious world. And, uh, but if you don't do it, you know, because we've been stuck in this for mystic alert lifetimes, you know, and, and uh, that's a big thing to get rid of, to, to like step up and, and say all the worship and all the, the, you know, all the adulation we give these gurus and all that stuff. Now give it to yourself or be that yourself, be everything that you think those people, the those people are supposed to be. No, your responsibility is for you to be it now. That's a big thing to give up. Mm. And if you don't do it, you'll get beat up. You get slapped around. So this is how I dealt with it in myself. Mm. And, but that wasn't even enough. I had to go make my own life first mm -hmm. before I could get to the place and just let it go. That's what I wanted to say. I mean, it, Whatever people have to go through, take your time, do whatever you need to do. But at some point, 
whether you're you know six months or six years in therapy it doesn't matter there's some point that comes along where you have to uh, finally use your will to just stop that mm-hmm. stop that thinking stop thinking about it uh i would be listening to stories in the room like how are they going to do that it's like they just keep bringing up all the worst and worst stories and listening to over again if your idea if you want to forget yogi bhajan you know they just keep bringing it up bringing it up and in the most horrible stories it wasn't all horrible if if you had taken the whole thing and you can get off the wheel, once you get screwed over by someone like him, and he's a big demigod, he was. Yeah. Uh, nobody can fool you after that. Nobody. I see them coming six months and, and miles away, and I've already figured out something to, to, to block it and defeat them. That was a gift from all this. So everything that happened to me gave me a gift to be able to hand, do the life I do today. Yeah, beautifully said, beautifully said. That's really what I wanted to say. And I think it's such an important message, um, but I also think what you're saying in terms of the time frame, you don't just jump to forgiveness. And I think that's where spiritually bypassing comes in as people, we try to like jump right yeah. to, and that's not how it works because the memory lives there still. We have to... That's where you're saying, have the life, go take what you learn and bring it to the world, have your life experience and let your experience distill the meaning, which brings you to forgiveness. If that's a part of your path, at least that's what I'm hearing. from you. Yes, absolutely. And, and that, that's called grace. You know, the, the Catholics would say, yeah, it's, it's impossible to forgive things that happen to you. You, you don't have the ability to forgive them, mm. you know, and it, you just, it's impossible. So that's how the whole thing works is that you have to call on grace to come help you. You have to call on spirit and grace to come and help you do it. Mm. And and that's what is, is making your own life to me is that's calling on grace because you're always going into the unknown. You don't know what's going to happen. So you always have to keep trust in each moment. That's the life of a sadhu. A sadhu gets up every morning and just goes, all right, God, what do you want me to do? That's that's the only plan you have, you know? (laughs) And I got really good at that. (laughs) Show me the way. Well, I want to bring that up briefly in that, you know, there's all these things Yogi Bhajan taught that contradicted in a part of, I think, our work is to really distill, like, what is the resonant meaning for me? And if I don't find that resonant meaning, I just get to discard that. So one of the things that have stood out in my life is this is a self-exalted experience, Similar to what you're saying, right? There's no middlemen, right? And that's what he said. This is self-exalted. And there's going to come a time where that external world is so much full of pressure, we have to know how to internally regulate. And that pow- that is a power, and the way that I bring that through my work, that I don't think anyone has the ability to cultivate it except in themselves. Absolutely. And to Absolutely. me, that's the power of Kundalini, is that that's our energy, and we get to learn how to harness and utilize our energy to be able to have more power than we've ever been led to believe in just this physical body That's through right. the energetics, through our whole being. And you don't learn that in, in uh, teacher training. No. You, you learn don't. it by going in out and doing it. You know, you, you learn the, the, the basic tricks. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff in there for keeping healthy, you uh, right. know, keeping your sanity. So I basically use it. I'm so sensitive to the world and psychic. It's like I had to learn to, to, to create a shield so you can regulate. You learn to regulate how much you'll take in, how much you push out. 
That's right. You know, I learned to push out when I'm in a war zone, you know, but I was dealing with uh, the way I, I took all those Kundalini principles is that there things were coming at me so fast. You're dealing with a, a little child, you know, who lost their parents. Next minute you're walking out the door and you're talking to somebody, you know, you turn your back and they'll kill you. You know, and you, and I was like using mantras and, and things from all different, you know, groups and stuff for this situation. I'd use this mantra in this situation. I'd use this mantra and stuff. One day I just went, who is it who's making the decision? It was like putting on a coat and taking that coat and putting another coat on. Who's, who's making the decision to try to put on the coat and when and how I was. You know, and that was the, that was the alignment. Yeah. It was as simple and, as that. And I just think the point you made that, you know, the goal wasn't to become super rock star teachers and get all the followings. And I think that's been what has perpetuated over the decades. And now there's kind of this like super stardom teacher energy and there's followings and, and the teacher trainings are exorbitantly costed. And, you know, so it brings, it goes into like, all the levels of misappropriation. And, and I just, I want to encourage listeners to just say, you know, distill it down to basic principles and realize that, you know, he, he added all the things as people were putting him in between them and their experience with God. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I took care of that early on because I saw where it was going. And I didn't want to be, like I said, I was a sadhu. It was more my nature to, to, to do that and not be a householder. So give us a perspective real quick, because I know you wore 3HO seat garb, right? So you were wearing white and a turban and stuff like that. But while you were in 3HO, did that change? Did you stop wearing the, the uniform and change while still connected? Or did that come later? No, that came later. And then, yeah. um, well, sorry, did you want to finish? No, that, that's, that came later. That's it. Okay. I wasn't sure if you were going on. You had a, a 3HO name that I don't think I ever got. Is that correct? Hari Shabbat Singh. Hari Shabbat Singh. So for those of you that... Shabbat Singh Khalsa. Okay. Hari Shabbat Singh. Thank you. Yeah. And I did all that. And, and then uh, Karantana, I took my own name. I was, uh, I had a, one of the... Uh, uh, one of the Tantra teachers I had gave me three names, Karanta, which was male, She Domtana, which is female, and, and La'a, which was a child. So I said, I don't, I don't want to handle all that. So I just put it all together and made it Karantana. <laughs> and it, it was important because, you know, when you're born, your parents give you your name, and then your spiritual teacher gives you a name. And I said, but part of uh, taking responsibility and, and, uh, Choosing your own path is, I, I, I took my own name, what it means to me. Kantana, actually, uh, you can find it in Rehas. Uh, it means uh, God's celebration. Beautiful. I say, I did, uh, that's what I want to be. I want to be in celebration. I so I, that's how I got the name. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, do you want to um, share any more about some of this historical stuff, or do you want to bring us a little bit more to some of the things you're excited about present? I'd rather move to the present, the, the, you know, work. So you've given us a, give, a great lens historically, and, um, and also how you healed yourself from, from really traumatic stages. Yeah. Thank you. 
I, I did use, you know, I kept up Kundalini Yoga. Like I said, the basics, the big five things I do over all these years. And it, it keeps me healthy. It uh, keeps the aura intact, you know, so you don't take in the, the society. And, uh, and then that gave birth to the ideas that, no, you don't just accept everything. I don't, you, you learn about aura and you learn about, uh, one of the things I did keep was Navi Kriya, you know, because it came in martial arts and help and it hurt, helps in my singing too. Mm. But that's power coming from the belly. So it's like, uh, you don't allow the world to come in at you anymore. It's like you start pushing back at the world. That's right. That's Khalsa, you know, that's, that's like chanting with swords. <laughs> I love that visual. And now I, I apply that to almost everything I do. When I'm on stage singing, I'm killing demons. I'm, I'm, I'm at war. <laughs> well, I know you've done, um, based on what I read in the bio you shared with me, I know you've done some more recent work in Cairo that was pretty amazing. Uh, do you want to bring us to there? Or is there something you want to fill us in before you got to Cairo? Uh, what I want to say about all that is that Well, I got off the subject. I was about, I took care of all the problems with the uh, the money and stuff early on. I just didn't. All the years I've been teaching, uh, I've never charged for class. It's always been by donation, and I've done very well. And then later, when I hooked back up with uh, uh, then my uh, I taught uh, teaching partner Sikmunder Singh. You know, for a lot of years we've taught together, and he's never charged. Yeah, he was a craftsman and a, and a, and a a carpenter and a, and a builder and uh, he loved that and so he didn't want to make his money as a as a teaching and uh, I didn't either so all these things we provided uh it was just this crazy idea you know take Bahadur going this has to be done you know innocent people are being slaughtered here and uh, and that's uh, the idea that starts the whole thing and then uh you know, using, using the prayers, using Nitnam as my sword and shield. And then, uh, but then the money starts coming. I meet the, the two absolute per perfect people to do this with. And then the money starts coming and then they take over. And uh, I think you're going to show a, a clip later of, of that program. Now this uh, was the one in Palestinia, right? Palestine. Yeah. Palestine, okay. And, uh, that's another thing I want to say about Kundalini. That's what makes your Kundalini come up. It's like uh, I, I taught these, these two women who are just warriors to the max anyway. Well, the first two of them had been shot down by a Zionist soldiers, you know, three times. Mm. They just are unstoppable. These are the kind of students I want to teach, you know, and, and uh, because they know what it's like. You only got five minutes to live and, and you got to do it with that intensity. And then. Uh, I got kicked out of Palestine and, uh, and they immediately took over and they started their first uh, retreat. You know, I, the, the style of yoga I, oh, I taught was uh, to go teach in prisons and refugee camps. Wow. There's a lot of them there. So these were young girls, young teen girls uh, and children who have been thrown in jail, Palestinians. And uh, these, uh, these women, I was teaching them how to teach in those situations. And that right away, as soon as I left, they started the whole program. You know, we uh, raised money in Egypt for them. 
and uh, they took these uh, kids just coming right out of prison and started their first uh, weekend retreat, teaching them Kundalini, teaching them uh, chanting, they, they're teaching Ashtanga, they're teaching Vipassana, uh, things that they these young girls have never, ever even been exposed to before. This is a big deal. You see in the, the clip, they're sitting there in the dark, chanting and singing and meditating. That's unheard of there. And then those girls now are going back to their village to teach the young kids there. And when you see that, you drop a seed and you see that these people give their best. Amazing. See the, pass that seed on. Yeah. That's all you need as a teacher. That's what makes your life. Mm. So then I went to Cairo and uh, it was the same thing. I, my, uh, my uh, first students were, uh, oh, the, I don't give any graduation certificates or anything like that unless they're out there teaching. So <laughs> that's another way I control the whole awesome. thing. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, so the one, the main girl that I taught there is, uh, she already had a, a dream of, uh, she has her degrees in business. And then uh, she wanted to go and start uh, she goes into very poor villages and takes Muslim girls, very poor Muslim girls who uh, have no chance of getting out of there. And she teaches them to start their own business, mm. you know, and then that, that like starts separating. And now she's teaching them meditation and Kundalini and stuff. And that begins to separate them from the, this uh, cultural miasms of the, of the Muslim culture is very macho and stuff. And the reason I wanted to stay there and do that was because uh, uh, the women in, in uh, the Islamic countries are starting to really take off. Mm. They're coming alive. They're the ones that are going to save the whole thing. Uh, what people don't know about the Quran is that there's actually more rights in the Quran for women than any other religion in the world. But it was taken from them. Mm. The sultans with all their excess and all that stuff like that and now that's all these women are very educated very smart very capable of even running those countries and again i walked right into that you know and uh, uh someone set out set up these uh, uh things uh, retreats out in the desert in the sinai where i was living with the bedouins out there and they were teaching about the, the quran and the muslim culture and so i got the whole blast and then these women teaching them how to how to meditate and do the yoga and with the idea I, I i'm not just teaching this to make you know so you can go out and teach and make money at this i want you to think of something innovative and, and go do it mm. and and all these women are already doing that and so the one she doesn't like publicity so i don't tell her tell her name you know she uh while she was doing the yoga she won a scholarship to a London School of Economics, one of the best in the world, and she went and got her master's. In a year, came back, and uh, she, you know, got a hold of me. And she says, "I'm now I'm back from London. It was so great. Now I'm back in, you know, she's a little poor town in Cairo and uh, part of Cairo. And she says, now I'm just sitting here in my parents' bedroom, you know, and uh, they all live. She's pretty poor and live in a little house together and stuff. And uh, now what do I do?" So I said, well, start chanting, you know, <laughs> I said, you chant anything you want, but you start. 
and you start doing Nabi Kriya because you're upset, you know, and she did. Within two weeks, she, she, got, uh, she got the job doing exactly what she wanted to do from uh, some big group in, uh, in Europe who funded her. And now she's in charge of all of Egypt. She gets to hire all the people who works under her. And, and they go into these villages and they teach, they teach women how to start their own businesses and stuff. And then on the, you know, with that, she's starting to throw in the meditation program. And um, all of that uh, is provided for free. I don't charge in, in, uh, in teacher training. I was teaching, doing teacher training. Uh, none of these people would ever have enough money. Uh, what does it cost now? Like $5,000 or something. Mm -hmm. it, it take them years and years to get that. So uh, once I saw what was happening here and I saw the quality of these people, again, you only learn how to do it when you show up and see what needs to be done. Right. And then I, I know exactly what to do, how to present it, you know, and, uh, you know, the how to, how to, how to, for making money, you know, how to, how to, how to. <laughs> yep. I told them how to do that. And I said, the important thing is that tongue. Yeah. It's like banging on the pituitary gland, bang, bang, like a boxing bag, you know, yep. how to. I said, once you understand how to do that, then I just change it. Allah, 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 Allah. I love that. Yeah, and then it just took off, you know, and more and more came and, and to learn this stuff. They, they knew, understand exactly what I was doing. They, uh, you know, they wanted to hear stories about the gurus. And so they began to see, I said, you know, if all this stuff about cultural appro appro appropriation, appropriation. Mm -hmm. yeah, forget all that. You know, the Sikh, the, the whole Sikh religion is approbation. If you read Shams, Rumi's teacher, and he describes the path, you, you if you hadn't seen Shams, you said, this is Sikhism. You know, but nobody thought in those ways uh, that somebody stole something in those days. It was like, it was natural. It was passed out. It came from God, and you're going to pass it down. You see in the Guru Granth have a lot of... Uh, uh, they'll just, uh, there are particular ways of describing God in certain passages that'll get passed down to all those other things because it's so beautiful. They want to keep passing it down. You know, all that stuff is silly. Yeah. I just think you have much whole, more holistic viewpoint of things because of your life experience where, you know, cultural misappropriation really becomes a serious thing when people are using elements and don't trace it back to the fact that, yeah, you can just change out mantras if it's getting the same technology or being, being able to use and create sound current with your tongue and your own body instrument. Like, being able to have critical thinking to be able to realize, no, you don't have to only do that. That's a starting place. And then you have to carry it along or adapt it to who or the environment that needs it. And I think that's a very, very important piece because yeah. cultural misappropriation is a thing, but it doesn't have to be if we can open up and expand that conversation for it to be a healthy conversation. Yeah and knowing origins of things and, and speaking to that, you know? And they look and see why you're using it, how you're using it, what you're using yes. it for. Yes. And the intention behind it. What do you know about it versus what are you regurgitating? Have you had an ex exalted experience or are you just parroting information and not letting it distill through your own soul? Yeah. Yeah. So do you feel like now is a good time to share that clip? 
Yeah, I think we're done right here. This is the end. We're going to move in there. I think so. Um, I just want you to intro it because listeners um, won't be able to see the video, but those that are able to watch the video will see it. So give us an understanding of what people will be hearing and seeing. This was uh, uh, a weekend that the, the, uh, the teachers in Palestine put on where they got all these young girls right out of prison and uh, they took them out for a weekend and, uh, and started teaching them all this stuff and, and rehabilitate them, showing them how to rehabilitate themselves and, and to teach it. And uh, it's just, it's short, but I don't know. I'm so proud of it. I'm so proud of them. And I wanted to show that. I, I, I want, the reason I want to show it in this room is I, I hope people understand them, you know, I'm not trying to draw attention to you know my projects and, and my stuff. I'm, I'm I'm saying I love this and, I, and I'm proud of this work and I'm proud of this of of, uh, of these women. And this is how you do it. This is how you heal yourself. And like I said, to see them do this and pass it on. And then she told me now some of the young girls you'll see in this uh, in this group uh, are already starting to teach it. And, and I, I wanted people to see how magnificent they're. They're so strong. These girls just came right out of prison. You know, and they, they, about being the world, they want to be back in prison with their sisters. You know, that's what kind of quality of people they are. And, uh, yeah. and, and uh, what I'm trying to say by it is, is don't do what I did. Don't, you're not, it would take a lot of training, you know, for, and I do train people to do that, but I haven't in a while to, to actually go in the war zones, but they were there. They're in it all the time, every day. Yeah. And, and, uh, and to see how, uh, to find your own way of doing this and, and, uh, and feel the joy of that. Yeah. That's what keeps you going. And all these arguments and, and remembering, like I said, I remember the, the tip of the sword you know you get caught up in, in worrying about i had i hadn't when i was gone from from 3ho for 25 years that was peaceful you know it was a great i never thought of yogi budget or any of this stuff and so uh once you do once you see things like this and you see people change and you see them growing none of that means anything it just it, it falls away because you, you, if you get caught up, like I said, in the, in the four-person attack, you, you've got to deal with it, throw it away. It's gone, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. The only thing is you need to know is what's right in front of you. And that's how you heal yourself. And I'm hoping that, that uh, you know, it, it'll explode ideas and people who still want to teach in their heads. And, uh... Yeah, I love it. So this is a, a short video clip of the Jericho Retreats. It's a yoga and meditation retreat, catharsis, Palestine, as we've been hearing from George McMillan. I'm going to share this clip. Here.
that's a whole brand new concept to them, you know? <laughs> yeah, that was so beautiful. And just for them to share their experiences with the yoga of being able to relax and the psychological benefits and just to witness, you know, how that's able to show up in, in environments and look differently based on the way that the environment and the people in that environment need it. Yeah. It, it started out, like I said, I had no particular plan, but I, uh, when I started meeting the young kids and I said, look, why are you going and uh, you're going up to the, the reason most of them got thrown in jail is throwing rocks. So they go to all the protests and stuff and the, uh, they, uh, they throw rocks and they'll shoot them down. They'll kill them or they'll throw them, capture them, throw them in prison, Zionist. And uh, I says, why are you doing that? Why, why don't you, uh, why aren't you playing to win? You know, what's good is it for you to get killed? If the Israelis knew what I was doing, they'd be paying me for this. And I said, look, take, you know, this, I'm gonna show you something to take control of your rage and then take that energy and create something innovative, something so beautiful that people will come and, and want to help you. And then it's easy to get news people in there, you know, and uh, and change the narrative, yeah. change the narrative. The, the, the world thinks the Palestinians are are, uh, are uh, victims and they think they're victims. Is it change the narrative that like you look and see who uh, under this pressure that they're under all the time, killings all the time. When I was there, we got attacked by the Israelis twice. And, and uh, change the world narrative yeah. and take control of this and, yeah. and do it in a peaceful way. No, nah, we're not going to do that. We're going to go out and throw rocks, you know. But then they had a couple of these classes and they just, this feels better. <laughs> yes, this feels better. And this is true fighting because this is, you're going to carry this on and you're going to change the story around the world. There's a, the one girl, the blonde curly hair, uh, uh, curly hair girl, uh, I had to name, he's world famous. You know, and, and, and uh, she's like one of their most famous warriors. And, and, and to see her doing this, and that was like one of the gifts. She just like got all set up. And, and uh, they, the young women follow her all over the, 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 uh, all over the Islamic world. Wow. And, uh, and Ashir has been out there on the front lines, you know, getting shot at and she's every March I went out and marched with them, you know, and she marches everything. She's always the loudest voice in the front of the line. And they shot her down, just healed herself. They broke her neck, stepped on her neck. She healed her neck by doing yoga and went on a vegetarian diet and doing breathing and uh, that kind of people. And so. And when you have to, when you have no other choice, like what you're saying, when you right. have to, when you're in the line of fire and, and that's a huge turning point because you realize it's in me or it's not going to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a lot of compassion, uh, you know, for, for what uh, people have to go through in America. You know, the, the, we've had a lot of Yogi Bhajan certainly was not the only one that did all this stuff. But I really don't like to teach here too much anymore because I, I don't find that intensity. And I, after 50 years of teaching, I, you know, to teach a class with, with a lot of people are going, I wonder if he fucks his students, you know, and said, man, I, I don't deserve that. I'm a better teacher than that. And uh, uh, I would rather get those people and train them, 
come over and do this work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I would love to uh, move into your song. Would you like to share with us a little bit about why you chose the song? Yeah, one last thing I want to say okay. before. We go Anything else you'd like to say is fine. To, to the uh, to the people from uh, Mary Perry, you know, that I've been listening to in, in the Primka room. And uh, I just want to say you're wonderful. And, and don't make don't make fun of yourself anymore for saving the world. I mean, you people are going to save the world. I save the world every day in Nittenham, you know, and it's like, I, I think you guys are fabulous. And I, uh, I just, I love them so much. <laughs> they are, they all have that same kind of vibe, like, you know, what the fuck, what happened, you know, but they're not broken at all, <laughs> you know, they're just like taking time and, uh, uh, God, I would love to take them over there and train them how to do this. <laughs> All right, that's it. The song, uh, the song represents to me uh, pacing the cage because it has that lion imagery from the Sikh Dharma, you know, the lions. And uh, my experience in 3HO and, and a lot of the spiritual path is an addiction in itself. Um, and that's the way, uh, that's the difference between a good teacher and a teacher who sets it up so that he, you know, controls and manipulates. Yeah. Um, there's a big difference. And, and uh, a lot of the Kriyas and a lot of the, the stuff we were taught, it, it, it puts you in this perpetual wanting you look at the Kriyas, it's always for something. This will make you richer. This will make you more sexy. This will give you this. It's always, it's always something to give, you know, okay. and you never reach having, you know, and that's why the Indian Sikhs are so ticked off at, uh, you know, the, the 3HO Sikhs, the Kundalini Sikhs, because, well, for instance, uh, like in Japji, and uh, the story goes that Yogiji and, and BBG went through all the verses and, and they assigned this will, this will do this for you and this will do this for you. This will do this for you. The 21st verse, if you say it eight times, it brings you money. You know, it's like, if you've, you just do that, verse. if you've heard the whole, if people had really heard the whole chant, the whole Japji, yeah. you know, it's like, that was what, what, uh, the, the gurus were trying to get rid of is uh, do this as a magical formula to make this this happen it's yeah. all given to you you can't take it it's given to you and you don't ever get it because you're trying to take it what giver wants to give you know when you're trying to take all the time and so that's a, the 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 job she is from the guru it is the guru the sound is the guru so it'll give you everything you need as you, as you step on the line to, to do what you need to do. But to sit back and go, I'm going to do this magical formula so this and this can happen to me. It's like, that's what they're outraged for because the, the, the Guru's Bani's and the Guru Grasab is, is genius, yeah. spiritual and musical genius. You know, and uh, I didn't, I chose that as my Guru. Like I said, I'd already had experiences of God, but I chose that because I'm a musician and I understood what was happening with it. And, uh, I didn't want to get into a uh, job side. It's ferocious. You know, I could do it really fast and hard and, and I'm swinging swords and, 
And it was a way that were, I don't have to lose the ferocity, uh, but I don't have to fight like that anymore either. And, and so the whole experience for, of 3HO for me was waiting, waiting, pacing, pacing the cage, you know, waiting for something to happen, doing all these tricks so something would happen and I would be a better person or I'd have more money or this or that. And it just, it just never panned off. So it was just constant waiting. So uh, that's what this song represents to me. Thank you. And listeners, for copyright purposes, we'll only be listening to a short little clip of this just so we can stay in integrity. No matter how I squint, I cannot Make out what it's pointing toward Sometimes you feel like you've lived too long Days drip slowly on the page You catch yourself facing the cage And that is Pacing the Cage by Bruce Cockburn. I encourage you to listen to the whole clip when you get a chance. Yeah, check that out when you have a chance. Beautiful song. So beautiful. I did listen before our, our podcast together. I want to thank you for your time today and um, invite you to just, is there anything last that you want to leave listeners with or any last story you'd like to share with us? No, I think we've done it all. I just want to say I, the, the people in the Primka room, I, I 100% with you, but I got to go. <laughs> I got things to do now. <laughs> Thank you. Kirantana, uh, I just want to say it's just been such a pleasure to hear and learn from you and to get your perspective and, um, and just to hear the stories that you bring forth from all the different um, walks of life and experiences. And um, I know that you are a musician and a recording artist and a published author and a, a devout Amritdari Udasi Sikh. And your wisdom in your experience has, has meant a lot for us to uh, get a glimpse into. So thank you. Thank you. I want to thank you too. I really enjoyed this. Uh, Gruna Sean and I talked a couple of times before uh, we did this because we wanted to give something special to all of you. And uh, thank you so much for your work. Absolutely. It is totally a service of love. Um, I want to again thank you for taking the time. I know you had doubts about wanting to go here and kind of replay old history and the lens that you offer, I know, ripples and creates a sound current that will impact and support a lot of people's healing. So thank you for that. Yeah, I didn't want to go there. I, I won't even listen to this after it's over. <laughs> I honor you for that. And at the same time, I know so many people are appreciative. Thank okay. you. Thank you again. Um, this is another episode of the Uncomfortable Conversations podcast, the untold stories of the 
3HO Kundalini Yoga Community. I'm your host, Guru Nishan. This is a wrap for 2020 and look forward to seeing you in the new year with new episodes. Have an amazing rest of your day.